Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, good morning to everybody. Um, Good to see you this morning. This morning we're going to be continuing in our study of one of the most historically influential letters that has ever been written by a man named the Apostle Paul. He wrote a letter to the church in Rome. We call it Romans, and we're calling our series The Book of Romans with a subtitle that says From Doctrine to Desire. And we're we're calling it that because we have to remember that in order for us to grow in our walks with the Lord, in order for us to become to look more like Jesus, to live our lives more like Jesus, we have to first understand doctrines in our minds, and then they have to go into our hearts where the Holy Spirit takes those doctrines and he causes them to transform us and to give us new desires so that we can serve God in meaningful ways from our hearts, not just outwardly. And so as we begin this morning, I want to ask that we would all stand together as we read the Word of God. In honor of His Word, let's stand together And we're going to be in Romans chapter 3. We're going to go from 9, verse 9 to 31. But right now, I'm just going to read five verses, beginning with verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We're going to jump all the way down to verse 21, which says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we are definitely a blessed people, and your grace is so great, your gift to us to be able to come together and to hear your word. And so we ask this morning, as we are going through a section of your word, that you would allow our minds to be renewed, and that we would be transformed by these truths in such a way that we may discern your will, that which is good and acceptable, and perfect. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know if you noticed this, but as I was reading just now, I read bad news and good news. The bad news was, none is righteous, no, not one, and the good news is, the righteousness of God has been manifested through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And if you've been with us from the very beginning of this series, you probably remember that when Paul begins writing, he writes to the church in Rome and he says, hey guys, I long to see you. And the reason I long to see you is because I want to get to you so I can preach good news to you. That's, those were two sermons we preached. But then for the next 64 verses, Paul brings down the sledgehammer, doesn't he? And he condemns everybody. He starts with 
the idolatrous and immoral Gentiles. Then he turns to the self-righteous moralist and says, hey, no, no, you're no better than the Gentiles. You, you may look better on the outside, but inwardly you're just like them. And last week, Caleb ta- taught us how even those who are religious, that's not enough to bring righteousness. And so the verse, there is none righteous, no, not one, is what Paul has been leading up to for the past several verses. And if you don't identify yourself as a Christ follower, you might, you know, when you hear what, what, what Paul is talking about, when he's talking about bad news, you might be saying, why do you Christians feel like you have to keep pounding the, the sinner part? I mean, I get it. My life's bad already in areas. There's a lot of bad things happening around. I don't need to hear bad news about me. I need, you, I need to hear some good news about me. Or maybe you are a Christian, and when you're sharing the gospel, the truth is, when it comes to sharing the bad news, you kind of like don't want to really get into that because you think, you know, if, if I share that, they're not going to want to come to Jesus, which is the furthest thing from the truth if we're truly going to come to Jesus. So this morning, if you're struggling with those types of thoughts about the bad news, we're going to, I'm going to be preaching about bad news, but I'm also going to be preaching about good news. And I want to bring clarity this morning to why we talk about bad news. And in order to understand this, I want to begin by showing you a picture of a little baby girl. This is Jessica back in 1987. And here's some good news. She's alive today. Now, let me explain to you why That is such good news because on October 14th, 1987, Jessica was only 18 months old and she was playing in her aunt's backyard when her mom, who was watching her, went in to answer the phone and Jessica, when her mom came back, Jessica was missing and they discovered that she had fallen down into an eight-inch well pipe. You might remember this story. Her Her name was Baby Jessica. She fell 22 feet down into this pipe. Now, this ceiling right here is about 12 feet tall. The reason I know that is because I can barely touch it when I jump from the floor. But she fell, imagine standing on top of this building, looking twice the depth into a pipe about this size. Her her right leg went up like this, and it lodged her into the bottom of this pipe or into the side of this pipe. Now, can you imagine? I'm, I've already looked at your faces, but can you imagine moms, dads, grandparents? Can you imagine the terror that seized Jessica's mom when she came out and discovered that her child had fallen into an abyss? And this, is, this really is beyond bad news, isn't it? Uh, this is horrific. Well, what would you do in a situation like that? Because it, it's clear that baby Jessica is not going to be able to climb out. There's no way she's going to climb up 22 feet. And it's also clear that there's no way that mom is going to be able to do anything in her own power to save her. Short of a miracle, you know, this pipe would be her grave. 
And, and so the point I'm making right now at the very beginning of this message is that Jessica's mom, she understood and she embraced and she believed the truth about her daughter, even though it was bad news. She, she didn't, you know, pretend like everything was okay. She didn't think, well, you know, maybe I can save her. The bad news, listen, that, that she didn't have the ability within herself to save her precious child is what caused her to humble herself and to call out to someone who could. And, you know, when emergency responders arrived, they, they lowered a microphone down into the pipe uh, to monitor Jessica, and they said that they could hear her crying. So at least they knew she was alive. And over the next uh, two and a half days, they heard her crying. They called, heard her humming. There's a, a detective who said that, who was there throughout the whole ordeal, he said he heard her singing Winnie the Pooh. So we knew she was okay. They knew she was kind of okay. Well, instead of like telling you how they rescued her, I'm going to show you. And unless you're in my missional community, you probably don't realize that when I was uh, in school, I took art classes in elementary school. First grade, I got coloring awards. So I'm going to draw and show you what happened, okay? This is the eight-inch pipe, obviously, very clear. Jessica fell 22 feet, and this is to scale, by the way. <laughs> fell 22 feet right here. Now, how did they get her out of here? Well, they, they, when um, they came, they brought a, what's called a rat hole rig, which is a, uh, a machine that bores holes for telephone poles. And they went several feet over, and they dug... Uh, a 30-inch wide shaft, and went seven feet lower than Jessica. Then they had to, to jet blast with water. This was new technology back then. You can't take a jackhammer and go that way. They had to jet blast water to Jessica. And then they cleared out the hole here. They installed a little balloon right here to make sure she wasn't going to go any further. And 58 hours later, after being trapped in this grave, they brought Jessica out into the land of the living. Now, Jessica is alive today. You see the good news? See why that is such good news? Because of what she, she should not have been here today. But she was saved by her rescuers, not by her mom, but by her rescuers. And I want to bring this story over today into our message, because it is a picture of how the bad news that Paul has been preaching about is also meant, the bad news is also meant to lead us from death into the land of the living. And if you're taking notes, I'm going to go ahead and give you my big idea this morning, and that is this. In order for us to see God's grace as being truly amazing, we sang about it this morning. Every song we sang about this morning, I don't know if you noticed, was about God's grace. 
In order for us to see God's grace as being truly amazing, we must believe and embrace both the good news and the bad news. And so if we are going to be transformed by the love of God. And listen, Reach Life Church, if we are going to be a people who deeply treasure Jesus, then we have to to understand not just the good news, but we also have to understand our true condition apart from God. And so if you're taking notes, I've got two essential gospel truths, just two that we're going to share this morning that that we're going to learn from this passage. The first one is this. And if you've got a weekly, you can take notes on the back there too. But here's the first gospel truth. We are great sinners. That's the bad news. We're going to get to the good news in just a minute, but this is the bad news. Now, when I say great, I don't mean awesome. Like, you know, like I've got a great friend or, or that guy's a great musician. I'm talking about our sin is great. And you know, over the next 10 verses that we're going to read, the Apostle Paul strings together, uh, you're going to notice six Old Testament passages. He does this in a rabbinical manner known as a charaz, which literally means stringing pearls together. We can tell that the Apostle Paul took a lot of thought to this when he was writing uh, this section of Romans. This is kind of like the pinnacle of his argument about us being great sinners. So let's look at verse verse 9, and the following verses. Paul says, what then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. Now, remember last week, Caleb taught us that the Jews had been privileged. They had been a privileged people because God had given them his oracles. God had entrusted the word of God to them. Just like he's entrusted the, the gospel to us as a church, he entrusted the Old Testament to the Jews. And they were to distribute it to the world. So just, but just having that privilege was not enough to save them. And so that's what Paul's saying here. They're no better than the rest of everybody because they were given the oracles of God. For we have already charged that all, I want you to notice how many times the word all is, is going to be read here. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Now, to be under sin means to be under its authority, to be under its power, to be dominated by it. Paul is saying that all humanity, everyone who has ever lived, has been infected by it. Its poison is like running, is coursing through our veins. In verse 10, he says, as it is written, none is righteous, no not one. I'm going to stop here again. I know I'm moving kind of slow through this, but two things I want to point out here. When he says that no one is righteous, he's saying that no one is, is perfect. No one lives perfectly. And secondly, I want to point out that Paul is including himself in this. Um, several places in other letters that he wrote, he calls himself the least of the apostles. He also says, I am the chief among sinners. So, again, none is righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, no one understands, no one seeks for God. No one seeks for God with all their heart, with all their mind, with all their strength. Verse 12, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless. This reminds me of Isaiah 53, 6, that all of us like sheep have what? Gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. In other words, we have disconnected ourselves. God did not disconnect us. We disconnected ourselves from God, 
And then it says, together they have become worthless. That word there, worthless, uh, is, could also be translated as unuseful or unprofitable. It doesn't mean that we are, we are not valuable in any means, but, but rather that because we have disconnected ourselves from God, we are no longer able to fulfill that which, for which we were created. Which is what? To know God, to glorify God, to love one another, to make him known perfectly. The word, I got to keep adding that word, perfectly. It's kind of like having a kitchen appliance. I don't know what your favorite kitchen appliance is. I don't have one, but uh, I'm going to use a blender. Is blender an appliance? Yes. Okay. Imagine a blender that, like the old, not with a, battery pack, but just with a cord, the cord has been cut. That blender is now what? An expensive paperweight until that cord is fixed, until it's put back into the power source. And that's what kind of, I think what this scripture is saying that when we are unplugged from God, we are not able to fulfill what we were created to do apart from him. The scripture goes on to say, no one does good not even one. Again, this doesn't mean that that nobody does good works, that we don't uh, feed the poor, that we don't take care of the lady crossing the street. Those are good things, but we don't do it perfectly. Everything uh, that we do has been infected again by sin. Verse 13, their throat is an open grave. Now, this is an extremely descriptive picture of mankind, of how there is death within us, And and look what comes out of us in the following verses. Paul is going to speak of five of the parts of our members of our body. He's going to talk about our tongues, our lips, our mouth, our feet, and our eyes. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, which is vipers or a cobra, is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their path are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. And then verse 18 is why we are in the condition that we are in. It's because there is no fear of God before their eyes. In other words, man, kind, does not respect does not reverence, does not give all to the God who created us. And so sin has penetrated and affected every area of our being. And this is actually the, the biblical doctrine that is known as total depravity. If you, you may have heard of this before. Now, when we talk about total depravity, we're not saying that you are as bad as you could be. Um, Not everybody in here is a drunkard or a murderer or an an adulterer. I like the way J.I. Packer puts it. He says, no one is as bad as he or she might be, and no action of ours is as good, good as it should be. And this is because, again, of sin, how it's affected every area of our life. And I want to point out here that Paul... Well, even, let me just say God, through Paul, is not just trying to beat us down with things that are not true. Things he is telling us is true. This is our 
true condition. Like Jessica, stuck in the pipe. She, her parents needed to understand the condition she was in. Actually, Jessica, some of us are like Jessica. We don't realize what we're stuck in. Um, if you, they've done interviews with her, and she says she doesn't remember the event. I think it was, she was five years old before she realized what she had been saved from. But we have to come to a point where we understand God is not saying this to us because he is against us. He's saying this to us because he is for us. And just like baby Jessica, our condition is extremely beyond serious. And something drastic has to be done or we will perish. And so Paul, he knows that the prideful human tendency is to try and to save ourselves. He knows that. So what he does is he, in the next few verses, we're going to see that he's going to warn the Jewish people, which this is actually applicable to us as the church. He's going to say, don't try to save yourself by obeying the law. Okay, let's look at that. And and here's why. Let's look look at that in verse 19. Now, we know, he's speaking to the Jews, that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law or those who are within the law, that is, the Jewish people. And here's why. So that every mouth may be stopped or every mouth may be closed and the whole world may be held accountable to God. And look at verse 20. For by works of the law, No human being will be justified or declared righteous in God's sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The law, the the commandments of God, which are summarized by Jesus to love God and to love your neighbor, they were never meant to heal us of our depravity but rather to reveal it. And trying to save our, ourselves by obeying the law is futile. It would have been like Jessica's mom seeing the situation, her running into the shed and grabbing a shovel and a pick and, and going out and frantically trying to dig down to her daughter before her daughter perished. That would have been impossible. That would have been foolish. And the truth is that we ourselves are in a helpless and hopeless state. And the, and the law of God, again, is meant to expose our guiltiness in such a way, here's what it's, it's meant to do, that it causes us to close our mouths, to stop making excuses, to stop defending ourselves. One, one commentator writes and puts it this way. He says, verses 19 and 20, They are meant to evoke a picture of the defendant in court who, given the opportunity to speak in his own defense, is speechless because of the evidence which has been brought against him. That's why Paul spends so much time at the very beginning. Before he preaches the gospel, he wants to convince his readers, you need the gospel. We are guilty before God, we can't rescue ourselves. And just like baby Jessica needed a miracle, so do we. But you know what the difference, one of the main differences between us and baby Jessica is that baby Jessica ended up here because of an accident. She didn't do this on purpose. She innocently 
fell into this shaft, and she deserved to be saved. We, on the other hand, intentionally left God because we believed the lie that, you know, there's life somewhere out there apart from you, God. We rebelled, and uh, we didn't accidentally fall into the shaft. We willingly dove into it. We are, as I said in point number one, we are great sinners in need of a righteousness that we cannot produce. But here's the good news. Even though we are great sinners, we have a greater Savior. If you're taking notes, that's our, that's our second gospel truth. We have a greater Savior. Look at verse 21. But now, you can tell that Paul is beginning to turn the corner. He's going to go from the bad news to the good news. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or revealed apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So this is the good news that God sent his son from heaven down to save us. To do for us what we could not do. Paul goes on to say there is no distinction. Verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Again, he's talking, this is bad news. We're great sinners. But verse 24 and are justified, were declared righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. I know that's a lot that I just read, and our, our brains can be scrambled here. I want to look at the word uh, that, that I don't use a lot, the word propitiation. You probably don't. How many of you used it this week? Okay, probably none of us. The word propitiation is a term that, that is used to describe or express how Jesus regained God's favor for us by offering him a gift. Um, in other words, Jesus appeased the wrath of God on our behalf through the sacrificial gift of himself when he died for us on the cross. That's why we say things like he gave himself for us. He is our, he paid the ransom for us. This was, Paul goes on to say, this was to show God's righteousness. Stay with me, I'm gonna explain this, okay? This, is, this was to show God's righteousness because in the divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. What is he talking about here? Divine forbearance where God passed over former sins. Well, this is where uh, those who were before the cross, this is talking about those who were before the cross, those like from the Old Testament who were looking forward to Christ. God passed over their sins in his divine forbearance. Verse 26, it was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be I want you to see two words here, that, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, what is that talking about? 
that he would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Well, you know, the gospel, there's a lot in the gospel, and it, it's, it's God's wisdom. It reveals God's wisdom, but it, it not only reveals that God is merciful and that God is gracious, but it also reveals to us that he is just. Um, he is not a judge who, um, who unjustly just lets guilty people go free without paying their uh, price. And I want to give you an example in the Old Testament of somebody that most of us are familiar with, King David. Now, he is, he is known for two things, right? Number one, for slaying Goliath. The second one is for committing adultery with Bathsheba and then slaying her righteous husband, Uriah. Then what, what does he do? He tries to cover it up, but God sees all things. And he sends, God sends his prophet Nathan to uh, David, and he says, you're the man. You are the one who has, uh, has sinned against God. You committed murder, and God is not pleased with this. But then it's interesting that Nathan says right after that, but your sins are forgiven. Now, how can he say that? I mean, to, to David, isn't that good news? Oh, praise God, I'm not going to be held accountable for that. That's good news to David, but what about everybody else who's watching? I mean, what about Uriah? What about Uriah's wife? What about Uriah's mom? What about God's enemies? Yep, see, God lets his, his uh, favorite people get off. He doesn't hold them accountable. Now, if someone killed someone uh, that was uh, one of my loved ones, and we go to court, and the judge says, you know, this person is guilty. We have the evidence. We've seen that they've done it. But you know what? I really like this guy, so I'm letting him go. We all would declare that that judge is unjust, wouldn't we? So the question is, how can God forgive David, be merciful to David, while remaining true to his just character? the gospel. Justice requires that sin be punished. So God punished his own son instead of David. That is amazing because, you know, I like to think about when, when Uriah, who was a righteous man, sees David in heaven, what's he going to say? What's he going to do? He's going to embrace him. You know why? Because he knows that, that justice was served through the death of Jesus, through the gospel. The gospel reveals that God is just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Verse 27, we continue where it says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? But by a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified. Again, one is declared righteous by faith apart from works of the law. Listen, church, what do we have to boast in? Ourselves, 
I mean, that's, that's ludicrous. Think about, I keep going back to this, but think about Jessica's mom being interviewed and her saying, yeah, you know, I, I got distracted and she fell in the well. I know it's kind of my fault, but I called 911. Boasting in what she, she's not boasting at all in what she did. She's boasting in what the rescuers did. And, and in the same way, when we truly understand our, the bad news, our condition, then we boast in Christ and Christ alone. Now, Paul doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 29 with more good news. He says, or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Listen, guys. Listen, Reach Life Church. This is talking to most of us. I don't know if we have any Jewish descendants in here. But this is talking about us. He is the God of Gentiles also. Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith. That's talking about the Jews. And the uncircumcised through faith. That's everybody else. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? In other words, do we, since we've been forgiven of all our sins, do we just sin and just do whatever we want to? Free from obedience to God? Paul goes, by no means. Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. And this brings us right back to the very beginning of my message with the big idea. And that is, in order for us to see God's grace as being truly amazing, we must believe and embrace both the good news and the bad news. And the law, we uphold the law because it reveals both of them the good news and the bad news. And so as I close here, this is where we have to, all of us have to make a decision. This is whether you've come to Jesus before or never come to him, or if you have been walking with the Lord for 45 years. We all have to come to a place where we make a decision, where we can choose to minimize the bad news. We can pretend like everything's okay. We can pretend like we're, we're really not that bad. We can, we can try to defend ourselves. We can make excuses for our sin. And if we do that, if we minimize the bad news, we will minimize the good. We will minimize the cross. We will minimize what Jesus actually had to pay for when he died for us on the cross. So we can minimize it or we can embrace and believe the truth that God has given to us. In other words, we can break our shovels in half and throw them away, give up trying to rescue ourselves, and call out in faith to the only one who can. The good news is that everyone who believes and calls on the Lord will be saved. All who repent and all who receive the righteousness of Jesus by faith will be saved. Now, I want to give one last example, and I was going to give these all out at the beginning this morning when you came in, but I decided, you know what, we're going to give them out at MCs, okay? But what I have here are 3D glasses. Now, if you see a picture that's in 3D without these glasses on, it's blurry. It doesn't look good. But if you put these glasses on, the picture comes out to you, and it's amazing, And so over the right lens, I put great sinner. 
And over the red one, I put greater Savior. It's when we look through both lenses, bad news plus good news equals amazing grace. So I want to encourage you this week, come to MC and you'll get a free pair of glasses that will help you see the gospel even more clearly. What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? I want to encourage us all to confess, yes, Lord, I I agree with the bad news. But I also agree that there is a greater Savior. Because you and I are great sinners, but we have a greater Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you again uh, for a time where we can come together and hear the truth and remember the truth. Lord, there is bad news um, that we have to come to, that we have to understand about ourselves. It, it's, it's true, and um, it's not something that we like to hear. But if we will truly take ownership of who we are and what we have done against you, you have good news for us, and that is that you will receive us, that you will forgive us of our sins, that you will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You will bring us back into fellowship with you through the work of Jesus, faith in the work of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would help us to believe both truths so that we can see how amazing your grace truly is. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.